As you can see, we have a special guest today. This is Mikado Henson. Uh, I've known Mikado for about 10 years. I uh, met him, in about, as I said, about 10 years ago uh, when he was the FCA director and chaplain at University of Houston, my alma mater. And he held that position for 14 years and built an incredible ministry. Um, he was gracious enough to let me come and speak to his athletes several times. And I don't know if you've ever been involved in FCA. If you think that it's a bunch of dumb jocks sitting around listening to pep talks with a little scripture sprinkled in, it's absolutely not, at least not at U of H. Uh, when I went, I was, it was always the high point of my week, my month, because these were young men and women who were passionate about the Word of God, who were excited about serving Christ in the world, and they're doing great things all around the world today. Mikado was just telling me a, a, an athlete from U of H that he and I both know has just called him and said, I want you to come out and do my wedding and baptize me. Um, uh, another athlete, he, he he trained and then I know well Case Keenum um, y'all may know him he signed a contract with the Denver Broncos this last offseason he's gonna do pretty well for himself um, but anyway every every Sunday during the football season he calls this guy and says let's pray together well in 2014 when Kevin Sumlin left U of H to come to A&M the first hire one of the first hires he made was he said I want you Mikado to be on my staff and he, he created a new position for him, Director of Player Development. Aggies, I'm not bitter about this. I'm really not. I, I've gotten over it. It's been a while. But he, he, he said, I want you to come and change the culture of Texas A&M football. I want you to come and minister to the players, to, the, to their families, to the coaches and their families. And he's done that. And if you watch A&M games, you see him on the sidelines. You've probably seen uh, some clips of the annual mission trip to Haiti that they take, that, that Mikado leads. Um, when Jimbo Fisher took over this offseason, he kept this guy on. I think that was a good move. So uh, today, as we're talking about a very difficult and important subject, I've preached on this before. This is something I feel strongly about. I know the scriptures speak strongly about, but I felt it was important for us to hear a different perspective. And, you know, with, with Mikado's heritage, with the three kids he's raising, with the young men he works with every week, I thought he would bring a different perspective to us. And I trust this guy. I trust him with my life, with my kids' lives. I know I can trust him with our pulpit. Some of you remember when he came and spoke at our power lunch a couple of years ago or, or a year ago. Did a great job. So uh, anyway, welcome Mikado Henson to us today. So, Mikado, would you start by telling us a little of your testimony, how you came to know Christ and got to this point? Well, thank you, Pastor Jeff. Um, just real quick before I get into my testimony, I just, my wife and I, she'll be here in the second service. Um, we're just thankful for your pastor. I just, I don't, I think you should know the man of God and his family that you have here. I just want to encourage you from time to time to really just continue to pray for him and, and uh, thank God for him and let them know also how much you appreciate them and it could be a hug a card a gift card or anything like that just to they can go out to dinner and that wasn't scripted by the way i just uh i like that i like <laughs> but i just want you guys to know that he's a dear friend of mine and uh, an awesome man of god and brother in the lord i grew up in a town um a suburb of kansas city about 17 miles from Kansas City on the Kansas side, Olathe, Kansas. I was born and raised there uh, until I was 20 years old. I grew up with both parents in the home and an older brother that I thought hung the moon. He was a great athlete, and uh, to be quite honest, he was a ladies' man. 
And I wanted to follow after big brothers in his footsteps, just in, uh, just in his social status and his uh, athletic uh, prowess and all those things. And so uh, grew up, and from the outside looking in, we were an amazing home, a two-car garage, fenced-in backyard, uh, really blue-collar, hard-working family. My dad, who's still in the grocery business, uh, started out at 16 as a sacker at Safeway. And... 50 plus years later, he's been running stores in that whole Kansas City area. And they kind of call him in to help restore stores that are kind of struggling. And through his hard work and customer service and great hiring ability and retention, uh, all his stores always go through the roof and sales and, and all those things. And then my mother, uh, they're both on the verge of retirement, by the way. They keep talking about it, that it's soon and very soon, right? <laughs> We sing the hymn, and um, but my mother's been an occupational therapist. She's been in that in that field for a long time as well. So, uh, grew up in a loving home, hardworking, blue collar. Uh, we had great morals. We had great morals. We treated people with respect. Uh, we were respected. The Henson name has a lot of respect in Olathe, Kansas. Um, but the one thing that we never did growing up is uh, we were not raised in the church. We weren't raised in the church, we were raised to be good people, but the relationship with Jesus wasn't a high priority in our home. Fast forward, it wasn't until the seventh grade that I actually heard the gospel for the first time. A young lady named Dawn White, who was really pretty, and she had gum, so I sat next to her every day in class. Eventually got to the point where I asked her to go to the movies with me through a handwritten note, you know, check the box, yes or no, and she said no. Um, shocking. But she would always invite me to her youth group at First Baptist Church, Olathe, Kansas. And I always said no. I always had something else going on. But she was the first person that I saw share the gospel, live the gospel, and walk it out every single day. And our relationship grew as friends, and I never went to youth service with her, but I just remember in, in high school, when we hit 10th grade, um, she had a knot on her neck that became Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, ended up having surgery, chemotherapy, all those things. And um, our senior year of high school, she went home to be with the Lord. A lot of people would say 17, 18 years old, she was so young, but I'd, I'd like to say that uh, she was in there for a purpose. She sowed the seed of salvation. She seeded my salvation. She didn't see my salvation. It wasn't until my freshman year of college that I received Christ as my Savior. But it wasn't until 1996 that I received him as my Lord. He saved me of my sins, but he became my owner, my master, and my ruler in 1996. Fast forward, joined the FCA staff in 1998, Greater Houston, 14 seasons as the chaplain for the University of Houston Cougars. In that 14, seven years as a chaplain for the um, Houston Rockets. So I got to work with athletes on the professional level and then for the last four years, I've been the chaplain and director of player development at Texas A&M University. And so uh, we've just really enjoyed our time in College Station, we've enjoyed our time in full-time ministry. I was licensed and ordained in 2005. And um, I'll just, more than anything, uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks, prof from Dallas Theological Seminary, he said, I love to share the gospel in locker rooms in the midst of all the hells and the dams just to make sure the gospel still works. And so that's where God's called me. That's my mission field. And I have the privilege of walking with young men and women uh, through the most strategic and vital time of their life. That's their college years.
thanks. We're glad to have you. Glad, to, glad that God did that in your life. Amen. You've seen the fruit of that. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I, I'll just start by saying, as a white guy, it's very easy for me to look at this issue and say, well, this is something, this is past history. Right. I mean, I, it, it's something that we see on PBS or, or the History Channel in black and white. You know, we see stories about segregation. We see stories about, uh, you know, lack of voting rights, but all that's in the past. And we see a, a world today where, for instance, if a celebrity uses a, a racial slur, their, their career is over. And so it's easy for somebody like me to say, well, racial equality has been achieved. But then when I watch the news and I see my African-American neighbors demonstrating, talking, it's obvious to them it, is, it has not been achieved. Right. This is still a very real issue. And I don't expect you to be able to speak for a whole race, neither can I. Right. But you know, you work with young African-American men. Right. If one of them were here today and could tell me, here's what it means to me, here's, here's why this issue is still important, what do you think he might say? I think they'd say a lot, to be honest, and I think they'd be very honest and very candid. <laughs> Um, the young men that I work with did not grow up when they had to drink from a separate water fountain. Mm -hmm. They didn't grow up um, sitting in the back of the bus. You know, that was people in the civil rights era and even before. But what they see is, and it's obviously very saturated through social media, and, you know, things are twisted and turned to be a certain way at, at times. But they would say that it's very real. What they've experienced as, uh, I'll just speak for the young African-American men that I've been able to walk with, um, they've seen people clench their purse. And I've heard these stories when, when people walk, when they walk by. Uh, they've had people move to the other side of the street when they're walking in the opposite, walking towards them and had people move to the other side of the street. Uh, things that may not be uh, verbalized, but are very easily, it can be demonstrated, you can see uh, tangible ways that they say, man, that's crazy. It's probably just because of how I wear my hair, my skin color, or my size. And so I think that they would say a lot. I worked, I've worked with people from high school students all the way to professional athletes. And I would think that they would say, look, regardless of my color, regardless of how I was raised, regardless of where I grew up, everyone wants the same thing. You, me, them, everyone wants the same thing. They want structure and they want love and they want to be led well. And so if, they, if, someone, if one of my athletes was sitting here right now, they would say, I play the greatest game, football because it's a made up of a team of men from all walks of life. But we have a common goal. If you're on offense, it's to take care of the ball and drive it down the field and score. And if you're on defense, it's to really suck it up, man up and stop the offense. They have a common goal and that's to achieve victory. They don't care where anyone's from. They don't care how they were brought up and raised, whether they're from the rural, suburb or inner city. They're all work, working together, speaking the same language. We got guys on our offensive line, our, our center's from Lufkin, Texas. He's a biracial young man. The guy to the right of him is from Buda, Texas. He's hunting and fishing everywhere. He's from the country. These guys, they're best friends. These guys didn't know each other before they came to school and they're gonna stand in each other's weddings one day. Why? Because a game, a game that entertains so many people has brought people together and hopefully is showing the world what it looks like to be able to operate with unity and operate in harmony and operate with a common goal 
And it doesn't matter what you look like, talk like, smell like, raise like, anything like that, but I'm your brother. And so I think that they would communicate those things. The football teaches more than just how to win a game. Football teaches how to live life and to live life in harmony with, with other people. I get calls all the time, and I'll share this real quick. I get calls all the time from coaches from across the country. It's kind of weird now being in my 19th season as a chaplain. I still look at myself as the young guy. Now I'm getting calls as the sage in the business. And I get calls from coaches all the time, and Mikado, I need you to help me find a chaplain. As a coach, I'd be honored to. What are you looking for? And I'll tell you this, nine times out of 10, they say, I need an African-American man. And I always ask, why? Because, Mikado, the majority of my team is African-American. Coach, I get it. I said, Coach, but with us having the same vision and heartbeat for people, can I encourage you that in John chapter 10, Jesus is viewed as the good shepherd. He shares himself, I am the good shepherd. Remember what he says, the sheep know the shepherd's voice, and the voice of a stranger they won't follow. The sheep never identify with the shepherd because of what he looks like. They always identify with the shepherd because the heart he has to love them, to lead them, and to give them structure and discipline. It's the voice of the shepherd that people are going to follow. My mentor, John Randalls, John Randalls was an older Caucasian man, a hippie. He'd always use the words, look here, dude, hey, baby. I mean, he, he talked a little different than me. <laughs> that man poured into my life that I'd never looked at him as being an older white man who's pouring into my life. I looked at him as a man of God who spoke truth to me, challenged me, corrected me, all those things. Why? His heart reached my heart. He had a heart for Jesus. I had a heart for Jesus. That connected us. And so I said all that to say, if our young men could talk right now, they, they have learned this thing the right way of how to work together towards a common goal. Off the field, they oftentimes experience much different. And that's what needs to change. I hate to stop you. Um, but you started in the scriptures that I'd like to continue there. What, you know, it's easy for us to see this as just a political issue, but That's it's right. biblical. It, it's something that scriptures talk about explicitly. What would you say the scriptures tell us about this? Gosh, just open up the scriptures and just look. But as you look through the scriptures, it is very clear the Father's desire. In John 17, the high priestly prayer, and he just talks about, Father, let them be one as we're one. Uh, you can open Ephesians chapter 2, and he says, there is no longer slave or free, no longer Jew or Gentile. This opportunity for salvation has been made available to everyone. See, the Jews, through their bloodline, they were the chosen people. And when the Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah, salvation became available to the Gentiles. Who were the Gentiles? Everyone who was non-Jewish had nothing to do with color. It had everything to do with who wasn't in that bloodline. And the same is still true today. That's why when Jews receive Christ, they call them Messianic Jews, but they're the chosen people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob's going down the bloodline, David, on down the bloodline, Jesus. And then we come in as non-Jews, 
and we get the same free gift called salvation, but we're adopted into the family. And what do you do when you're adopted? You receive all rights and privileges of that of the bloodline child. And so the Bible speaks really clear on this. I just want to encourage you guys with just a couple scriptures. We have a way of thinking, right? You have a way of thinking. I'm not saying it's right, wrong, good, bad, indifferent, but everyone has a frame of mind, a way they think every single day that they wake up. As Christ followers, as Christ followers, that way of thinking should line up with the scriptures. We have a way of thinking oftentimes. God has a way of thinking. If they don't line up, one has to change, one won't change. The standard is the standard. Anything of sh- short of that, the Bible deals with that and calls it a very small and powerful world, word, sin. Sin means missing the mark. God has a way of doing things, and when we don't match up to the way he says do them, we miss the mark, and now we're in sin. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also, must also, it's a commandment, must also love his brother. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, he says in the first verse, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love, or another translation, live a life of love as Christ has also loved us. So how are we to love with the same love he's loved us with? I mean, you think about it. When I came to Christ as a freshman in college, when you came to Christ, if you've come to Christ or are still wrestling with that, we come broke, busted, and disgusted. We come dirty, messed up, jacked up, all those things. It is he who sets us right. It is he who makes us clean. You, the, the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, he said, I got made up in his mind, I'm going to go back to my father in this, in this parable and say, I'm no longer worthy, worthy to be called your son. Just hire me back as one of the hirelings. And the father didn't do that. The father didn't say, where you been? Ooh, you stink. He didn't say any of those things. He said, go kill the fatted calf. My son who was lost is now found. And so when Christ sets you free, you're free indeed. When he cleans you, you're white as snow. <clears throat> And that white is the purity that he does because of the blood. And so we have 1 John 4.20. We have Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Luke 6.46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Lord, Lord, why do you call me owner, master, and ruler? Why do you say that I'm your Lord and you won't even do what I say? Well, what does he say? Love your brother. That's, it's, it's important. And then I just want to close this part with this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39. And I want to walk this out just real quick with an illustration. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. They huddled up. Okay. Speak football, right? <laughs> One of them, an expert in the law. He tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, he calls him teacher. He doesn't call him Lord. He calls him rabbi. 
He didn't call him Lord. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? <laughs> Got him. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Pause. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. It's level ground. There are no peaks or valleys at the foot of the cross. It's level ground. And everyone, by faith, has to receive that Jesus is who he said he is. He's the savior of the world. We focus so much on our relationship with Jesus, and we should. That, and that's the vertical beam of that cross. But the one that suffers sometimes is when Jesus said, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbors yourself. Sometimes we lose focus on that. We've lost focus on that. It's, it, you turn on any news outlet or social media right now, and it will show you that we've lost focus of the horizontal beam of that cross. We get the vertical right a lot of times, and we all agree on that. But where the discrepancy and the disagreements often happen, or in the horizontal beam, the second part of that commandment, that's our relationship with the person to our left and to our right. And you know what? Even that person to our left and right may not look like us. But we are called and we are commanded by the Lord himself to love that person, to walk with that person, to have relationship with that person. Our horizontal relationships tether us. They tie us to that vertical beam, and that's our relationship with Jesus. Remember Luke 9, 23. He said, if any man comes after me, let him first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And oftentimes, all we want to do is carry around that, hor that vertical beam. I love Jesus. I, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Great. How do you show me you love him? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you have people over to your home and have dinner with you that don't look like you? you it goes beyond, well, I work with black people. My son's on a team or my daughter's on a team with black people or Hispanic people, Asian people. It doesn't matter. When's the last time you guys have sat down and talked and had coffee and sought to be understood, sought to understand rather than be understood? These are conversations that have to happen, and we'll get into that in a little bit. The Bible's very clear, very clear. And oftentimes we either skip over it, turn a blind eye to it, but the word is what it is. And he has a way of doing things and we have to make the adjustment. Henry Black would be said in Experiencing God, we have to make the major adjustments in our life if we want to experience him to the fullest. Yeah, there's more where that came from too. Amen. Um, so I know this church well enough, I've been here over two years, that I think just about everybody here would say, I don't have hate in my heart. I treat people with equality and they'd be telling the truth. Absolutely. But what can we do as individual people? Mm -hmm. I think ordinarily, and you, you mentioned some of that, having people over to our house right. who don't look like us, but uh, what can we as individual people do to bring healing, to, to bring reconciliation yep. and, and glorify God? What can we do? There's a lot that we can do. And the first thing that we can do is just first admit that it's still an issue. 
We, we need to admit that there's still a racial divide mm-hmm. in our country. Yeah. I'm, I'm reminded in some form or fashion every day that I'm non-white. Good, bad, or indifferent, I'm reminded every single day. It'd be like walking in College Station and everyone has on their maroon and white, and no one even notices. But let a Longhorn walk in <laughs> with their burnt orange. And what do you think they'll be reminded of? They'll be reminded that they don't fit in with the majority. And I use that illustration is because in America, Caucasian people, and I'll, I'll share my experience of where I feel I have some validity in this whole thing. People who are Caucasian have never had to be reminded of them being Caucasian. But people who are of color are reminded in some way every day that they're of color. And so I think we first, we, I say we, we have to be willing to admit that it is still an issue. It is still an issue in our world. It is still an issue particularly in the United States. And and the United States of America is a great place. I'm honored and I'm thankful to be able to be a part of this country and to be able to be a citizen of this country. But there's also parts of this country that I still cringe at, but I wanna be a part of the solution. I wanna be a part of the solution to be able to have conversations and to be able to say, man, we weren't raised the same way. We may not think the same way, but you know what? I can still walk with you. I can still have great conversation with you. I can still hug you. I can still tell you I love you. And we may think completely different. So we've gotta be able to admit that. We gotta be a bridge and not be a fence. We gotta be able to bridge the gap. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When original sin happened, there was a chasm, there was a gulf, there was a gap between God and humanity, and he desired that relationship. Jesus came as a bridge to bridge that gap. And that's what we have to be. If we want to be the demonstration, the, the, the hands and feet of Christ, we've got to be that bridge. We've got to be the ones that people can see, man, Jesus is real. Well, how do you know he's real? Because your life, man, you're, you're bridging gaps, man. You're bringing people together. Man, I can tell you love Jesus, not by what you just say, but your actions are screaming how much you love him because you love the people that he created in his image and in his likeness. And so as Christ followers, we have to get outside the four walls of the church. It doesn't mean taking a group to Haiti all the time. It doesn't mean of going and doing a uh, community cleanup and things like that. We just have to be the body of Christ. We have to get outside the four walls. This is the huddle. This is the huddle. You're here in the plays. Okay? And then when you guys sing and pray and dismiss, that's the ready, set, break. Now everyone has to go run their play. And where does that happen? That happens at HEB. That happens at your work. That happens uh, in your circle of friends. We've got to run the play. So we admit that there's a problem. We're a bridge and we're not a fence. We help bring people together, not divide. We have to do that. And then we also have to get outside the four walls of the church and be willing, be willing to go and build and walk with people. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul writes to the, the people of Corinth and he says, if any man be in Christ, be anyone, he, they are a new creature. 
Behold, all old things have passed away, and all things have become new. All things have become new. So when we come to Christ, we're a new creature. Our old system, our old world, our old way of doing things, that has to die. And in Christ, we are his representatives on this earth. And so how are people going to hear the gospel unless someone preaches to them? How, how are they going to be able to see um, that Jesus is real? Someone like Don White is in seventh grade living out her faith. That's how. So I want to share this. As Christ followers, we're not reformed. We're not rehabilitated. We're not reeducated. We are, re- we are recreated. We're recreated. We're new creatures in Christ. We aren't merely turning over a new leaf. We're beginning a new life. Our old way of thinking should be replaced by new Christ-like ways of thinking. And so that's our job. We have a job to do. Jesus did his job. He's doing his job in and through his people, through the Holy Spirit. But we've got to put feet to our faith. And we've got to be able to go out there and, and be the demonstration. God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. We got a, a demonstration of Good the kingdom stuff. of God. Good stuff. Uh, real quick, do you, do you have a couple of stories of churches that are making a yeah. difference in this issue? I tell you, um, we attend one in College Station. We attend a church called Skybreak Church. It's been uh, Our pastor, Pastor Danny Green, is from North Houston, comes from a family of pastors. All four of his brothers are pastors. All three of his brothers, he's the fourth. They're all pastors. Dad was a pastor. And when he planted the church in College Station, he told me this story. He and I have lunch from time to time, and uh, Pastor Danny's a Caucasian man. He said, Mikado, I used to go home and I would cry every Sunday. And I said, Pastor Danny, why? why? You're preaching the gospel, and you had a church, and it was growing. He said, Mikado, because everything in the church was white. The walls were white. The people were white. I was white. Still am. That's what he always says. (laughs) (laughs) So, Pastor Danny, you look the same. (laughs) But he said he would go home, and he'd say, God, this isn't the church you told me about. This isn't what heaven's going to look like. We're going to worship together in heaven. Why can't we do that here on earth? Why do the Hispanics go to a Hispanic church? The blacks go to a black church. Whites go to a white church. Asians go to Asian church. Why can't we worship together? And he said it broke his heart. He said he started praying, fasting with the leadership, and they started inviting anyone who had a pulse. And today... It's the most diverse church ethnically that I've ever been to in my life. I had to go to College Station, Texas (laughs) to go to the most diverse church. And and I'm going to tell you, it's it's shown from from the pulpit to the congregation. It is shown. You can see it from the worship team. The, the guest preachers who come in and speak, different things that go on from the stage to the congregation. I can look in any direction and see a different ethnicity, and we're all worshiping together. So I get to see that every Sunday, okay? My church in Houston, uh, in Missouri City, Together We Stand Christian Church, predominantly African-American church, literally, two white families in the church. That breaks my pastor, Alan Rice's heart. Because together we stand, came, the name came from John 17, Father, make them one as we're one. That's where that ch- the church was birthed out of. But there's an Asian church in Fort Bend that would come and fellowship at our church with us. 
okay? Worship style is completely different, but that's okay. You may like your hamburger dressed up this way. I may like my hamburger dressed up that way. But at the same time, we're going to go eat a burger together. We just like them differently. So that Asian church would come over to our church. We would go to the Asian church, and we would fellowship together. Each pastor would preach at the other's church. There would be different luncheons and things like that in the community where pastors would get together with no agenda. No agenda to say, we got 800 coming every Sunday. We got this. And started just talking about their church. They started talking about the kingdom of God. And what can we do as pastors in this area to bring about this uh, issue of unity? The church I got saved in, Second Baptist Church of Olathe, Kansas. Predominantly African-American church. Traditional. We used to have a Methodist church. Pastor Bruce Van Sickle and his congregation used to come over and fellowship with us. We had a men's breakfast and they would come over and they'd fellowship. And I'm telling you, it was a beautiful picture. And this is in the early 90s. We would go to their church, they would come to our church, and the, the pastors were really good friends and would do, go fishing together and things like that. So I've been a part of churches who just, you say, oh, that's elementary, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Taking that first step to go in to visit uh, an African-American pastor and say, hey, pastor, my name is uh, Pastor Jeff Berger at First Baptist Conroe, and we're in the same community. Man, I'd love to take you to coffee and just talk a little bit. It's those little things that are gonna make a big difference. It's never the big event. It's never gonna be, you know, let's set up a tent and have all the churches in the community come. That's not gonna do it. What's gonna do it is candid conversations, tough conversations, going to other churches, meeting other pastors, fellowshipping with people who don't look like you, who worship in a completely different style as you. And it may be uncomfortable. And let me tell you, everyone in here, including this guy here, it's okay to be uncomfortable. We've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's the only way that we will see change in our sphere, in our circle, in our communities, in our churches. And you have to be able to say, we need that. We need that. I want to honor God with that. He is blessed by that. And so I've been fortunate to be able to see churches in other communities um, that I've attended. I've seen that become a part. And there's a lot of pastors, Matt Chandler, David Platt, who are now preaching and not afraid to speak on this issue. Dr. Jeff Berger, not afraid to speak on these issues from the pulpit. Why? Because it comes from a heart of love, not of guilt, not of shame, nothing like that. The whole whole result is reconciliation, which means to go from an enemy to becoming a friend. We were reconciled to Jesus. We were an enemy of God. And we received Christ. We became a friend of God. How about that? And the way it was done between here and heaven, between us and him, how about it's done between our neighbor? You know who your neighbor is. And it's going to take some humility and not guilt. But it's going to take a whole lot of love. Good job. Good job, Mikado. Now, I know you got one more story for yeah. us, right? Yeah, share that with us. Yes, um, and I'm sensitive to the time, but what I didn't share in my testimony, because I kind of glossed over some things, June 6th, 1971, was the day my parents got married. It's really important to me because Carl Henson was 19, African-American. Donella Tower, 18, Caucasian. Dr. Gross, who married my parents, 
was almost kicked out of his church for marrying them. There was a meeting with the elders. But he loved Jesus, and he knew they loved one another, and he stood for truth, and he did their ceremony. How do I know that? When he passed away, his widow gave my parents a little write-up that he did in his journal. Married Carl Henson, Donella Tower today, my first interracial marriage. My parents in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, they went through hell on earth as an interracial couple. My, not my mom's parents, not my grandparents, but my, my mom had family disown my mom and her parents for allowing that to happen. And it wasn't until about 25 years later that they finally came around and said, Carl seems like a really good man. This June, they'll be married 47 years. This June. My brother and I, born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s. We were called every biracial name, hurtful name that you can ever think of by both sides, by both sides. Then I'll end with this. So my mom and dad, they got it, but they love each other and they love Jesus now. My brother and I got it. Did it hurt us? Sure. Did it define us? No. In 2016, racial tension knocked at my door. In 2016, my sixth grade son was at the bus stop. An 11th grade, a bigger white kid called my son the N-word. Shut up, you N-word. And that hurt my son. Hurt him bad. He came home crying, <laughs> huffing and puffing. Son, what's wrong? He told me what happened. I said, what time do you go to the bus stop every morning? Okay, I'll walk you to the bus stop tomorrow. And I had two dads go with me just to protect me or him. I don't know which one. And I had a real close conversation with this young man. I said, if that's the type of hate that's in your heart, you need Jesus and you need to change. And if that came from what you've been taught, then I'd love to have a conversation with your father too. Because it's wrong, it's hurtful, and it doesn't build anyone up. And this kid, I mean, shaking bad. Why do I say that? Race, I saw racism hit my home in three generations. So yes, we can sit wherever we want on the bus. We can eat wherever we want in the restaurant. We can drink out of whatever water fountain that we want to drink out of. But in 2016, it knocked on my door again. And it's wrong. According to 1 John 4.20, Ephesians 5.1, and remember in Psalm 133, King David said, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers can dwell together in unity. And so you all are doing your part. In the world, in the United States, it's a big problem still. And if you don't think that, I want to encourage you to wake up to that because it is. People are hurting, people are being separated, and it is, it's, it's still a live and relevant issue. But what can you do in Montgomery County? You can do a lot. You can help be a bridge. You can love people, and they can love you right back. And so I just, I'm thankful that things like this are happening. I'm thankful that you have a pastor who um, is preaching the word of God, has a heart of love to do it, that you have the ears and the heart to receive it, 
That's all a part of this communication thing. You have to receive that. And I pray, there's a parable, the parable of the four soils. I pray that this word is sown on good ground. Not on the path, not on rocky soil, not on thorny soil, but it's fallen on good ground. And it doesn't matter if you're 8, 18, or 88. It's my prayer that we can leave saying, we can leave saying, what am I going to do to make this world a better place? What am I going to do to be the demonstration of God's love to people? Because here's the truth of the matter, and we can close it up here. There are people every day who are dying, and they're missing heaven. And it it could be because we're stuck in our way of doing things. How about we be the hands and feet of Jesus? And how about we go out and share to a lost and dying world that sin is the cause, but Christ is the cure. And we can go out there together. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how I was brought up or how you were brought up. I love you. And I want to make sure we're in heaven together. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you all.